It's time now for today's edition of Community Conversations. It's the interview program in which we dialogue with voices from the Omaha community. And here's your host for Community Conversations. Let's welcome Cami Carlisle. Hello, folks. Welcome once again to another edition of Community Conversations. This is Ryan O. I know that normally you're used to hearing Cammie Carlisle's voice, and you're going to hear it in just a second. Here with us in the studio is our brand new communications director at Radio Talking Book, the aforementioned Cammie Carlisle. Welcome, Cammie. Well, hello. How are you today? Good. Thanks for having me. Loving this cold, brutally cold weather. Well, it is winter finally, so I'm okay with it. Exactly. Sort of. I need to have seasons. I complain to Jane and Becca all the time uh, when it was too warm yeah. last month. Yeah, I didn't same. like it. So we thought it would be a good idea since you're brand new and you have some some really neat history if we could just get to know you for the next half hour or so. So we're delighted to have you. First of all, Cammie, tell us about your background. Where were you born and raised and how did you come to be in Omaha? Sure. Well, I was born in College Park, Georgia, which is just outside of Atlanta. You're born in Georgia? Yeah. Wow. You lost your accent somewhere along I the way. I did. And you know, I, my joke is that I always tell my mom, if we would have stayed there, I could have been the third Indigo girl. <laughs> it's fine. I think we moved to Omaha when I was two. My dad was in the Air Force. And uh, I think my mom was already from here. So we moved back to Omaha when I was two, and I've been here ever since. I did go to college in Oklahoma, and they told me I talked funny there. Really? I was like, uh, you guys just looked at me and called me y'all, and I'm only one person. It's all relative because we have a lot of reasons to criticize Oklahoma here in Nebraska, and just one of the many (laughs) is that they themselves talk funny. So it's, it's just all relative, so... Yeah, so I've been here since I was two. I, I consider myself an Omaha, Nebraska girl. And uh, yeah, and then I went to college, Ralston, Ralston High School here. Went to college in uh, Enid, Oklahoma, Phillips University. The only thing down there was the college and some oil fields. So I came. That's Oklahoma for you. Yeah, and then I came back and went to UNO and Metro. Um, I went to school up here for horticulture, and I became a Nebraska certified arborist. All because I was trying to get out of radio. I was in radio for a long, long time. Well, you probably hear this a lot, but you sound like you could have been in radio. Oh, thank you. You, I'm sure you get that <laughs> that quite often. Bef- I do. Before we get to your radio career, let me just ask you. And it's not a we we promise no gotcha questions on this. But are you a football fan? Not at all. Okay, good. Then we don't have to to test your loyalty about Nebraska versus Oklahoma. No, I don't like any kind of sports. I just didn't get that gene. So what are your interests? Uh, Before we get to your career, what flips your switch if not sports, (laughs) then what? Music. Music. I I, go along with that. Yeah, I've, you know, when my mother was pregnant with me, I guess she always put headphones on her tummy so I could listen to the music with her. And I have just always grown up with music on in the house. The family would stop what we were doing and dance and sing. And then my mother put a guitar in my hands in fifth grade. And I really hated it. I hated it so much until eighth grade when my guitar instructor said, what do you want to play? Because we were playing like Kumbaya and just a bunch of dumb stuff. And I said, I want to play the Go-Go's. And he said, okay, we'll go get a book. And that that right there was what set me into a career of music. I'm also a, a professional musician. I remember one of the things you said to me in your interview that caught my attention was that you're a big fan of the Go-Go's. Oh, gosh. They changed my life. They really did. On MTV, you know, way back then in the 80s, we had those big, giant, wooden TVs. And I just remember we finally got MTV, and the first thing I saw was the Eurythmics and Annie and her red Annie hair. Annie Lennox, yep. And that, I was like, What? And then the Go-Go's came on right after with Our Lips Are Sealed, and I was hooked. 
I knew I wanted to be a girl rocker from then on. So you're a girl rocker now. Yeah. What? Tell me uh, a little about your musical track. Well, I started. What is your journey? I've always been playing guitar. Like I said, I didn't like it until eighth grade, and then I stuck with it through college. Uh, I came back from college and started Nebraska's very first all lesbian band. Let me tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> we were called Lavender Couch, and it was a lot of fun, and we we were a big hit. And we were the very first group to bring Ani DeFranco to town back in the early 90s when cassettes were popular. I was given I remember one. those days fondly. Yes, and it had her phone number on there, and we thought we, we didn't know any better, so we just called and invited her to come to Omaha for $300. I don't want to Google it on the air because it would be awkward, So, and, and uh, there's no way to not out myself here. Who was Ani DeFranco? Audie DeFranco is a singer-songwriter. She's a little singer-songwriter from Buffalo, New York. Um, she's really popular in indie music and with lesbians and women. She's very powerful. But one of the unique things about her is that she never signed to a record label and still made it big. Wow. So she's kind of my hero. She's really awesome. And one this is pre-internet, though. Let's let's emphasize that because now it's not as much of a thing if, if you don't have any kind of a record deal. You can still get popular. But but right. sounds like this was long before oh, gosh. Google, social media, the internet, any of that stuff. Oh, way before. Early 90s. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. So I've been rocking since. I've been in lots of different bands <clears throat> along the way. Uh, so I've opened for Ani DeFranco. I've opened for Joan Osborne in The Murmurs. I've done a lot of solo shows. I think I have about 15 recordings out in the world. Wow. Can we find you on YouTube if we were to look? Um, I think you can find my latest band, Bathtub Maria, there. Bathtub Maria. Yes. You know what? That sounds about like the name of a band that, that would be your genre. So <laughs> Bathtub Maria. I love it. Well, thank you. It. So tell me a, a funny story um, because I know musicians have the best stories, particularly colorful, humorous. So give me a funny story from your years of – playing the music scene. Oh my gosh, there's so many. Well, I mentioned it. Uh, we opened for the Murmurs, Lavender Couch. The Murmurs were a big band back in the 90, 90s, and one of the gals ended up on, um, what is that show? Oh gosh, I'm blanking. The Showtime show about lesbians. Anyways. The L Word. Yes, how can I forget Starring that? Jennifer Beals. Yes, and uh, Alicia Haley was in the Murmurs. Yeah. So the, we opened for them down in... Lincoln, and unbeknownst to me, my whole band was like really partying down, like really partying down. And so after we opened for the Murmurs, we go backstage, and at the time, the lead singer who I was dating uh, had a little too much to drink and threw up in Alicia Haley's boots. And then we left. <laughs> Nobody told her that there was puke in her boots. And I had to put the cello player in the car with the cello. It was awful. But I mean, now I can look back and laugh. And the drummer was starting a fist fight with the bartender. I was like, we're never going to get invited back to Lincoln. And I don't think we were. Wow. But it was fun. <laughs> That's a heck of a story. And um, I'm just trying to, um, you know, Alicia Haley, having played the bar scene and such, had to to know when she found that throw up <laughs> in her booze that that was somewhat par for the course. Right. In, especially right. in college towns. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. I was a little yeah. embarrassed, but yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so you went to college in Enid, Oklahoma, I did. you said. Um, what was your major? Communications. Okay, that's again not With surprising. Minor in music, yeah, yeah. A lot of people when they go to college, they tend to stick around in the area where they went to college. What made you come back to Omaha? Well, I was on academic probation. Oh, I, no judgment here. I, I faced that myself in college. I was just so. having too much fun, Ryan. Yeah. It was so fun. I mean, this was a Disciples of Christ school that I went to, and I'm not religious, right? 
But my parents insisted that I was going to leave Omaha because they just, you know, thought that was the best thing. Mm-hmm. And th- this was the school that accepted me. And I have never seen so much rock and roll and partying in my life. It was so fun. <laughs> it was a blast. So I came back and I went to UNO, continued on, and then uh, got, well, I came back and had an illustrious career at a record store for a while. Remember those things? I do. I spent many a happy day in record stores when I was a kid, particularly after I left high school and moved to Lincoln and learned how to independently get to the Homer's Music on uh-huh. 14th and O yeah. in downtown Lincoln. What was the name of the record store where you worked? Pickles Records. I remember Pickles, Pickles too. They were the co- they were the competitors. Yes, it was we it were. was Homer's and Pickles. And yep. then at some point they consolidated. Yes. They became Twisters or or something like. Maybe I've oh, got it, it reversed. Just all became Homer's. Okay, I got it reversed. It was Twister's Records and Pickles Records, and then eventually they all became. Yes, they all became Homers, and I worked at the Pickles on 84th and Dodge, which is nowhere to be found. Now it's the big children's hospital, and after we were bought, I got to work at the Homers in the downtown location, and that was so fun. I still have so many friends from those days. I bet. It was great. What was? Did you ever meet any celebrities? I know record stores are big for for people on tour trying to push their stuff. Oh, indeed. Well, I'll tell you, back in the day, we were not expecting... We were having a Mannheim steamroller party oh back God. then. Chip would, like, buy wine and all this stuff wow. for the record store. And we were all... We weren't supposed to drink the wine, but, of course, we were because, you know, record store kids. So we're having a great time <laughs> not doing what we're supposed to be doing. And in walks uh, Bob Carey and Deborah Winger. And we really? Like, what? And at the time, Deborah Winger was really big, right? Yeah. And everybody loved Bob Carey. So I just remember all of us like fawning over them, like, oh my God, Deborah Winger. Woo! So that was cool. And then I remember one time down at the Homers, we had, um, uh, I think, was it a Teletubby guy that was in there? So yeah, that's my thing. Now, see, I knew who De- uh, Bob uh, Carey and Deborah Winger were, but you lost me at the Teletubbies. I, I have. Weirdo kid people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm sure there's more. I just can't remember off the top of my head. It's been a while. Did you get to get autographs from either the governor or Deborah or no, did you talk just, to him at all oh, or did, did you just stare from afar? No, no. We, we just ran around and drank wine with them. It was great. And then we made them buy a Mannheim Steamroller album. So yeah, there you go. You made them. Yes, we did. Well done. I know. Well done. Mm-hmm. Very persuadable when they're not <laughs> in the... Uh, in the political office. So did your record store time have anything to do with your getting into radio or how did that come about? Well, when I was little, I really seriously, when I wanted to grow up, when I, I wanted to be a, a DJ and I wanted to be a rock star. And by God, I did it. Omaha style. Um, I went into radio after, oh, the record store thing kind of ran its course and I was telemarketing and a friend came to me and said, hey, uh, I do traffic and we, we need some help. Can you come help us? And I'm like, well, yeah. So at the time, I was kind of the uh, producer where, where somebody stays on the ground, and at the time, we had a plane in the air, and I would dispatch the accidents. So that is literally – now, I had interned at Z92, but then I went to college, blah, blah. So I started in traffic, and then I ended up uh, being the director of operations for Metro Networks and did traffic wow. for the last how many years? 20-something years. So you worked – you said at Z92 – yeah, my you, last you, place was Scripps. I don't think it's Scripps anymore, but it was Z92, Star 104.5, CD 105.9, Channel 94.1. Who am I forgetting? Oh, Sports. Sports 598. Yeah, the AM component there always still is, strangely yeah. enough. Mm-hmm. So that so. was the last place I worked. So you worked in radio. That was one of the selling points when, when you came and interviewed with us as we, we loved your, your radio experience. Tell me what it was like working in radio. Give me – 
without using some of the trite cliches that tend to come out um, in the inside industry, try to give us a sense of what a day in the life of Cammie Carlisle on the radio looked like. Well, since I did traffic, that was my main bread and butter. Um, it was I had to get up before the crack of dawn because I had to be there before the rush hour started. And then I worked a split shift, and I did that for decades. And that means I went in at the crack of dawn, stayed till about 9 or 10, and then I went back at 3 o'clock to get everybody home. So that's a really long day. That is a long day. Yeah, and oftentimes, more than not, I got stuck in the middle of the day filling in for somebody. So that's like 12 hours of Cami Carlisle. And I was like, that is too much. Nobody needs that much Cami Carlisle. I mean, that's just crazy. But, you know, it was, it was a lot like high school. It was crazy. Um, it was probably... Very unprofessional at most places. I mean, if you saw the people on radio, it's always one of those shocking things. Like you hear these people's voice and then you meet them and you're like, oh, I didn't think you would look like that at all. Mm -hmm. So having Todd and Tyler in the building and big party and all these big personalities, it was always it was always loud and cacophonous. I was out in the hallway. So <laughs> that's where my traffic booth was. So it was just always busy and crazy. It was a lot of fun, though. It was a lot of fun. You said the magic words, Todd and Tyler. They are legends around Omaha. So sure this is the part where I ask you, please, please give me a, a Todd and Tyler story. Well, you know, at first I wasn't sure because over the years I've, I've worked at every single station in this town. And way back when they were with Journal and I worked across the hall at Star. And every time I would open my door, there'd be like profanities and them saying, just the worst things. And I was like, who are these two dudes? But you know what? They're super, super nice. I mean, they are the nicest guys you will ever meet. And Craig, their buddy, he is so awesome. They're really good guys. And they make a lot of money. I bet they do now. They do. I bet they do indeed. You can always tell because I drive into my clunky old car and there's their beautiful brand new Mercedes. I'm like, yeah, they're, they're keeping our paycheck. Who says you in. can't make money on radio? You just have to be in it for years and years and actually do really well in the ratings right. to the point where you're indispensable. Right. Or so. be on a morning show. There you go. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Morning shows are the most listened to even now. Yep. They uh, really are. So you did traffic, it sounds like, for if not the entire time, the majority of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you ever try to move beyond traffic? I did. Um, I always, I was always a fill-in. Always, always, always. So I DJ'd a lot. I like a lot of the midday shows because that's when I was open. Um, I also did news when needed. And I also filled in on morning shows. And it was so frustrating because I really wanted to make that move to like a morning show host. Because every time I filled in, I had so much fun. And the problem was all the bosses were like, nah, you're too good at traffic. We can't move you. And I was like, are you kidding I'm like, come on. But the problem is, is traffic is, it's not as easy as people think. I can imagine it's not I because think, maybe the the reading of it would be the easiest, would it not? Or am I have I got that wrong? Well, actually, there isn't even really reading. It is so off the cuff. I mean, you can't predict what the day is going to hold, right? You could have mm-hmm. a beautiful sunny day and end up with 100,000 accidents. It rains the next day and there's no wrecks. There's yeah. no rhyme or reason. And it's all literally up to the minute. So I would go from star, literally do my traffic, give the out cue, do CD 105. I mean, it just was constant. You know, on the, in the morning drive, I think I did like 45 reports every morning. Wow. And so – and one of the things I really took great pride in is that it was accurate. It was up to date. And I took great pride in that because it mattered to me. You know, it really mattered to me. When you're doing traffic – you're doing it in a 30-second mm-hmm. format. Right. How do you squeeze in? Let's say it, 
not a hundred thousand, but let's say there's like several major accidents. How do you, in your mind, how do you squeeze that down into a thirty second or sixty second report? Usually, it's thirty seconds yeah. when I listen to it. Usually, it's how does that work? Well, you got to pick and choose. You can't always list every single accident. I never gave accidents on like side streets unless something got really shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't talk about wrecks in parking lots. But I always pick the ones that affected the most people, and that caused the biggest delays. Now, if we had, like, seriously, like 75 wrecks in a day, I'd be like, there's too many accidents to count, but look out for these. These are really causing a delay. You had to really pick and choose. So you haven't been in radio for how long now? When did you get out of it? Um, I left at uh, December 2016. So you've been gone about five years. Yep. I decided to do the nonprofit world. Um, well, before you tell me about that, let me ask you, what is the thing you miss most about radio? I miss my friends. Um, because besides being a traffic reporter, a lot of times I was sucked in as kind of like a sidekick, which, you know, bonus for them, right? They didn't have to pay me. But the last sidekick I was with Steve King at CD1059, and him and I have become the best of friends. And we would get to laughing so hard. And we did the craziest things like rock and roll kazoo. Name that tune. And we we couldn't even play our kazoos because we would just laugh so hard. You know, I, I try to think of ways to stretch out the mid-morning break. And I just you just gave me a – what about rock and roll kazoo? We could do oh, it every day and hope our yeah. listeners will call in and guess what the song is. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, I'm not very good at it. But, yeah, I just really miss my friends and the the – I don't – that's really about it, my friends. I mean, I'm still in touch with them, but when there's magical stuff happening on the air, it, it's really magical, yeah, you know? Yeah, I can imagine. What's the thing you miss least about radio? Oh, the hours and the pay. <laughs> <laughs> I know people must have thought like, oh, she's rich. I hear you 24-7. I'm like, ha-ha, that's hilarious. No. Well, that's why I made the crack earlier talking about Todd and Tyler, how they're making all the money. You right. have to really pay your dues in radio yes, before you can you get do. to that that point. Mm-hmm. So. So you left radio in December of 2016, and then you mentioned nonprofit. Hence, that was the the other big selling point uh, yeah. for us. Tell me about your nonprofit experiences. Well, my best friend, really, uh, she was a nonprofit forever, and she kept saying, come on, you'd be so good at it. And I'm like, I don't know if I can work nine to five. I don't know how to do that. I don't know if I can sit somewhere. And she's like, come on. And so she talked me into it, and I threw my hat in the ring, and the first place I worked was at Coalition for a Strong Nebraska and we taught people how to lobby and how to talk to their senators. And I loved it. It was so awesome. It was a lot of fun. I got to be in Lincoln a lot, working with the senators. Um, that ran its course, stopped over at out in Nebraska for a bit, uh, a, a nonprofit that tries to help LGBTQ people here. Then I went to the Big Garden, which I loved and adored. But that too ran its course, and now I'm here. And this feels like riding a bike. So this is your fourth stop on the nonprofit yes, express. I, I hope my last. I would love to be here until I retire. Well, we would hope the same thing. So <laughs> it's good. We're pedaling in the same direction yes. as it were. What is it about the nonprofit sector that attracts you? Well, I'm a helper. Um, and I didn't really realize that how much help I gave people in traffic until I started to do remotes and they would come up to me and say, hey, this is my daughter. She just turned 16. She's been listening to you since she started going to kindergarten in the car. And I told her to listen to you to get home safely. And it really mattered to me. And I really liked helping people. So going into nonprofit was almost a natural fit because I really, really love to help others. So you're doing that with the nonprofit world. Um, Tell me about some of the different things you've done in 
nonprofit? I know you've mentioned a couple of different stops, but but specifically, for instance, the Big Garden or out in Nebraska. What what sort of things have you done in the nonprofit sector? Well, besides um, learning about my senators and meeting them, that was so great. I mean, I hadn't been down to the Capitol since I was a kid, you know, so that was great. Out in Nebraska, one of the things I'm most proud of is that in the short time I was there, uh, we were able to have the very first, if you can believe that, the very first LGBTQ lobby day. And it literally was the last thing that was held at the Capitol before everything shut down for COVID. I'll be darned. So we went out with a bang. We had a great turnout. I was so proud of that. It was amazing. So proud of that. And then at the Big Garden, I was development, uh, the development director, i.e. cash finder, (laughs) grant writer. And when they hired me, they said, you look like somebody who'd want to be in the dirt, but you're not going to be. Well, I was. (laughs) Sometimes you got to take a break from writing grants. And plus, I found that when you go out and you dig in the dirt, you plant the food, and then you harvest it and hand it to the folks that need it, that is a powerful feeling. And it's really helpful to write grants when you actually do the work. And of course, grant writing is one of those things that you never think about. Right. A nonprofit. I've, this is my second, well, third really nonprofit job. Mm-hmm. And the people out front, it's, it's kind of like corporate. Um, the people out front are the ones that get all the credit, but it really is the, the money people, the grant writers and the fundraisers that really do the heavy lifting and get – they don't get enough credit. Right. And you know, the funny thing is, is that – well, I guess it's not funny. It's long overdue. I've noticed and it's happening today that a lot of our funders and the people with the money have totally changed their values and missions. And now it's really all about racial equity. I mean it has been a long time coming for that here in Omaha especially – but that kind of changes things. I mean, the money, it's going to be a little bit more difficult to get, I think. But Omaha, we need to catch up with the rest of the world. Can you expound on that a little bit? Well, yeah. I mean, so we have all these funders here. I mean, I, I've often wondered this, if it's like this in other states. But, you know, in Nebraska, we have, what, a lot of millionaires here, right? And so we have a lot of family foundations, like more so than normal. And a lot of these nonprofits rely on those family foundations. And it, it was pretty easy. You'd get rolling, rollover operations money. But with everything that has happened with Black Lives Matter and all the uprising, everything is now under a racial equity lens, as it should be. So funders are really rethinking where they're putting their money. Interesting. Um, And then it'll be interesting for Radio Talking Book going going forward as well. Yeah, definitely. So so tell me, Cammie, about your family, about your personal life. Well, sure. I have one sister. She's younger. Uh, Her name is Dina, and she has a daughter, Maddie, who is my one niece. I love her to death. She's like 25 now. Um, My mom is still here. She's 82. My dad passed away, gosh, what is it now, 24 years. He was my age when he passed away, so I'm kind of like a little nervous about things. But uh, that's it. I have a really small family. I'm married to the love of my life, and uh, her name is Shell, and we have eight animals. <laughs> you to- you stole my thunder for the next question, oh, uh-huh. but tell me about Shell. She's awesome. You know, she was my friend for years, for decades. My band, Lavender Couch, used to play with her band, Phoenix Rising, and we were always friends, but I was dating the lead singer. She was married and having babies, but we always stayed friends. And then one year, oh, it was probably about 2011, she said, hey, do you want to write together? And I was like, I write alone. No. And then <laughs> she came over and we sat down to write and uh, we just started. I mean, it was so easy. 
We just knocked out song after song after song. And then on uh, New Year's Eve, she's like, hey, do you want to go out to dinner? And I'm like, you mean like a date? And she's like, I'm like, you're buying? I'm like, okay. And then the rest is history. So, yeah, she's always been my friend, like, since the early 90s. So I'm, I'm literally married to my best friend. Well, you're lucky. A lot of people can't say that. I am very so. lucky, indeed. It's interesting that you've spent so much time in Omaha, and a lot of people don't think of Omaha as a particularly uh, welcoming or inclusive city, and yet here you are. Here are a lot of people. Have you found that kind of an uphill struggle for you? Yeah, yeah, I have from day one. I would like to think that things are easier for kids <clears> now. <throat> I feel like the youth of today, wow, I mean, they are really, I mean, they are speaking out loud and proud. It's not just LGBT. I mean, we have gender fluidity now. We have all these different things, and it's really awesome. I think things are better. I've got to think. But it's still – we live in Omaha, Nebraska. Let's just be honest about it. Well, you, you, you say that, and yet I wonder what kept you from going to places that are thought to be more inclusive, whether it's San Francisco, New York City, Chicago, even Denver. Right. Uh, I, it was an adjustment for me coming from Denver to Omaha. Right. And I grew up in Nebraska. What, right. what kept you here? Uh, my job. It, you know, it's really unheard of ah. for somebody not to bounce around in radio out of state. That was my thought. I was I was kind of getting to that. Radio is very nomadic. Mm-hmm. And somehow I got lucky. And I guess it's because I cared so much about my job that I was able to stay here and not ever leave. Now, I did look around. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did apply for some jobs here and there, but I ended up staying. And I'm still here. And I'm kind of surprised, actually. Well, we're delighted. We're delighted that you stayed and, and wound up Thank on our doorstep. You. Me too. So, of course, I've got to ask you because it's my pet project or pet theme. Is, is, tell me about your animals. Oh, I love animals. I'm a sucker. Me too. For me face. too. Well, you know, in Omaha, you can have five cats and three dogs. So we do. <laughs> I've always had a full house. Um, I'm on my third pack of dogs in my adult life. And we have three elderly dachshunds. Mm-hmm. They range in age from 10 to 18, and they are characters. And we have five cats, and you can imagine what that's like since you've got one. So take that times five. Wow. Nothing is sacred. (laughs) One is a handful. Right? Nothing sacred. Everything is trash. We just happen to live there with them. But I can't imagine life without them. I've always had a house full of animals, and I probably always will. And, of course, so you have your, your wife and your animals. That, mm-hmm. That's a house full. Yeah, it is. That's, there's 10 of us in there. That's 10 mouths. Good Lord right? almighty. You yeah. know, I'm an animal lover, but it's hard for me to imagine eight pets. Well, sometime you'll have to come over and sit down, and suddenly you're going to be swarmed. You're going to have eight animals. I look forward to you. it. Me too. I love, I love animals, particularly multi-animal households. We yes. grew up with, with more than one dog or a cat at a time. So. Well, you'll love my house then. <laughs> One of the things you shared with me uh, a while back, and I'll ask you to touch on it. We don't have too much time left, but you've mentioned that, that you're in recovery. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. Um, I have been sober for five years, just this last November. I decided to get sober before Trump became president, and I figure if I can be sober through that, then I can be sober forever. And um, it was a long time coming. I started drinking heavily when I was 14 years old, and I kept on to 48 and uh, alcoholism runs in my family, and it just, you know, how many times do you have to hit rock bottom before you finally hit right. it? And I finally hit it, and I decided I don't want to, I was married before to another woman. We were great until we weren't, and uh, I didn't want to put Shell through that, what I had done to my first wife. And I didn't want to put myself through that anymore, you know? 
I mean, like I said, I got up every morning at the crack of dawn, and I was either probably still intoxicated or really feeling terrible. But you know what? 30 seconds, fake it till you make it, and I did. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But I'm really grateful to be sober. I'm really, really grateful. I've done it, and I will be this way for the rest of my life. Well, congratulations on your success. As Becca has, has also shared with us, it, it really is kind of one day at a time. And oh, it, it is. And it becomes a journey. Oh, it is. So. Yes. So what do you hope to accomplish uh, here at Radio Talking Book? What what led you to us and, and what do you hope to do while you're here? Well, you know, it's funny. I've oh, there's Over the years, I've seen advertisements for jobs here. And at the time, I was always like, oh, I have another job. I can't, blah, blah, blah. Well, I left the big garden and I didn't have a job. So I started to look and I thought, what? Are you kidding me? No way. I can finally apply like so I did. <laughs> and at the time, when I left the big garden, I was really thinking about moving to Minneapolis. But... Luckily, I applied here, and you guys hired me, so I didn't move. So I'm here, and I hope to accomplish whatever is needed. We grow our listeners. We, I don't, I'm just, I'm open. I am wide open. Do you have any message for our listeners who who might be uh, listening in right now? Well, sure. You know, believe in your dreams. I know things are really hard right now, and I can feel the heaviness. But you know what? The sun does come up tomorrow. And if there's goals you want to do, go for it. It's never too late. It's never too late to teach an old dog new tricks. I love the metaphor and I love the positive note. We will end on that. Kemi Carlisle, new communications director here at Radio Talking Book. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Ryan. We are excited to work with you and get to know you better, and I know our listeners are as well. So it's it's been a pleasure. Thank you. This is Ryan O, the uh, new program director at Radio Talking Books. Uh, this has been Kemi Carlisle with Community Conversations. Thank you so much for listening, and please stay tuned to Radio Talking Book for our next program. Have a great day and a great weekend. Bye-bye, folks. You've been listening to Community Conversations on Radio Talking Book. It's the interview program that brings you voices from the Omaha community. The Radio Talking Book Network is brought to you with the cooperation of KIOS-FM in Omaha and statewide through the facilities of NET Radio and Television. We've been proudly serving our blind and visually impaired listeners for 46 years. Thank you for being a loyal Radio Talking Book listener and supporter.